What's happening, Cardinal Nation? Welcome back to the Cardinal Call Podcast, a classroom podcast that has been designed to interview expert leaders and gain their insight that will help take your leadership and your learning to the next level immediately. Let me start off with a great quote today. Everyone can rise above their circumstances and achieve success if they are dedicated to and passionate about what it is they do. That quote was made by none other than Nelson Mandela, the former president of South Africa. Ladies and gentlemen, trust me, you don't want to miss any of our guests this month as we will be interviewing some of the top leaders in the community and the university who are dedicated to and passionate about what they do. These amazing guests are doing a phenomenal work by giving others hope as well as doing some great things. So make sure that you listen to the Cardinal Call Podcast National Month of Hope Edition this month on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or Google Podcasts. And you can view us every Friday on YouTube at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I am Dr. C. Sean Owens, also known by my social media moniker right there below at the Professor Owens, where you can find me hanging out on most of my social media. Let me go ahead and bring in the one and the only my incomparable guest. He is the one. He is the only. He's the incomparable Dr. McCart. Dr. McCart, how are you doing today? How are you doing today? Dr. Owens, thank you. I'm glad to be here. And uh, just a, a beautiful day here in Kentuckyana, as they say, or uh, sometimes it's called Indiucky, but that doesn't quite roll off the tongue uh, as Kentuckyana does. So glad to be here. Really excited about our guest. Uh, this is, uh, we're, we're going to have to stay sharp. I'm telling you, this is a, a smart guest very accomplished and a very analytical thinker we'll get into her bio as we as we go on but hope you're on your toes and i hope you're ready to learn because there's gonna be some things today that we're gonna have to we're gonna have to stick oh definitely 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 our, our guest today is going to literally blow the minds of all listeners today this is maybe one of the most uh, uh intriguing guests that we've had on we had and we've had some great ones so that's saying a lot but before we get into that, before we jump into today's Classroom Podcast with our special guest, I want to let our listeners and viewers know this. If you or someone you know are is ready to lead with compassion and expertise, you can save time and money by enrolling in the University of Louisville's Bachelor's in Organizational Leadership and Learning. This degree's unique prior learning assessment course awards you tuition-free college credit. That's right, tuition-free college credit for your work experience, which can equate to a savings of up to $23,000. To learn more about the value and the other amazing benefits of the Bachelor of Science and OLL degree, you can check us out at uofl.me backslash bsoll-podcast. Again, that's uofl.me backslash bsoll-podcast. Well, now that we've got that out of the way, let's get into why everyone's tuning in today for this podcast. So let me introduce today's amazing guest. She is from the great state of Kentucky. Now, she is well-traveled, but listen, people of Kentucky, she is from the Bluegrass State. She's one of your own. She is currently the sitting president of a great company. But if I told you the company, you'd know exactly who I was talking about. So I'm going to keep you guessing. She is very, very smart. Like rocket science smart like has a degree in aeronautic engineering rocket science smart she's obtained 
a master's degree in management and she has a certificate in business analytics which by the way is like my nerd habit to study but it's not about me it's about her so let me tell you what in doing all of our research we found she's a leader's leader right she's a leader's leader she is going if you think you're a leader if you think you want to be a leader you want her in your circle you want her in your camp you want her to give you the advice on how to take it to the next level doing all that she's leading her organization to new heights to greater depths they're doing some phenomenal things let me go on to bring in our special guest she's the one she's the only she's the venerable she's miss carmen or mrs carmen moreno rivera how are you doing today carmen I'm doing well and like y'all are the best hype men ever. Like <laughs> I need to have that on loop every morning as I'm coming into the office. That's amazing introduction. Hey, we want all of our guests to feel like a million bucks when they come on the Cardinal Call podcast. Gotcha. You, you did a great job there. <laughs> so when we get on the Cardinal Call podcast, you know, we don't like wasting time. We want to jump right into some amazing things so you can help uh, our students, our listeners, our viewers take their leadership and their learning to the next level. Uh, let me start off with another great quote. Um, this quote was attributed to a phenomenal person. The quote goes like this. An effective leader is someone who can adapt to the situation, but still be authentic. Does anybody know who made that quote? Oh, it was you. It was our <laughs> special guest. She made that quote. So knowing that, let's see if anything has changed. The question we ask all our guests, very first question is, how do you define leadership? So Carmen, how do you define leadership knowing that you gave us that great quote? <laughs> yes, I think ultimately leadership is all about supporting people to reach a common goal, right? So um, I consider myself a servant leader. Um, I have a personal mission around being creatively compassionate in my service to others. And so really understanding, you know, I need to be able to engineer a solution, if you will, uh, meet people where they are to make things better for them, um, you know, around working, collaborative solutions, those types of things. I think um, when a leader is not afraid to kind of come out from behind the glass doors and and get down and dirty, if you will, and understand, you know, the issues from a frontline perspective to take those frontline employees and include them in the solution and in those uh, collaborative problem solving sessions. That's when a company and an organization really can thrive. So for me, it's just all about supporting people, um, helping them, you know, work and operate and thrive in their space um, and in the process kind of um, helping myself be able to, to learn. I'm a continuous learner. Uh, lifelong learning is kind of a passion of mine. I feel like um, the more I can learn, the better I can relate to folk or connecting concepts. Um, again, just learning about everything and everybody that I can really helps me kind of uh, satisfy that, that passion of mine. That's sweet. That, that's amazing. You know, uh, I've said it you know, I know our guests and listeners get tired of hearing me say this, but every week, man, we ask a leader, a, a learner, uh, someone about leadership and how they define it. And we've had 13 guests. I think you're 14, 13, 14, whatever that number is somewhere around there. And everyone's definition has been slightly tweaked and yours is no different. It's when you bring in that servant leadership and about supporting others or what I took away from that definition was supporting others. And then you said helping them thrive as well as yourself. So I think that's an amazing piece, just another thing to differentiate. So if you're out there to all our listeners and viewers, right? Leadership is about supporting others as well. It's about making sure that everyone gets across that finish line. Dr. McCart, what you got? Dr. McCart, what you got? 
Well, uh, we're also lifelong learners, uh, but I, I want to let the audience know that Carmen puts her, uh, she really means it when she says this, puts her money where her mouth is, I, I guess you could say, but on your LinkedIn feed, it says you were uh, accepted into a doctorate program in leadership. So not sure if uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that or how the journey's going or if it's getting started. It looks like maybe later this fall, but uh, that's, uh, you mean it when you say yeah, uh, I will start uh, August um, 2021 in Spalding's uh, leadership, doctorate in leadership program. I'm super excited about it and quite honestly had never even thought about pursuing something like that um, until Dr. LaPenta, who's over the program, reached out to me um, and I started talking through things with her. And then once I looked at what the program offered and um, just thought about how that would connect with some of my experiences and what I could do after that and, and the different experiences I could have in the program, um, the different people you get to meet and, and the lectures and, and whatnot. I just thought it'd be an awesome opportunity to, again, you know, satisfy that whole continuous learning thing that, that I love, but then also continue to make a big impact in Louisville um, and in other national organizations that I'm in. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting started with that. Stuff. Well, best of luck to you. We're, uh, we know what that can be like, and so we'll be here for pep talks if you want to call us back after the at any point in the journey. It's uh, it's an exciting time, a great time to learn. So, um, well, I'm looking here at um, some of the research we did, and it, it looks like um, you're part of the leadership Louisville at one time. Yes, I was in leadership Louisville, the the flagship program uh, in 2020 which made us not only the best class ever, but the most unique class ever, because once COVID hit, we had to uh, figure out how to take Leadership Louisville, which is a very um, intense, normally face-to-face, -face, you're making visits on location and things. We had to figure out how to do that virtually. Um, and, and kudos to Cynthia um, at Leadership Louisville and figuring out how to make that work and um, her awesome team there. And we were still able to have that connection with community leaders. Um, and understand some of the, the pressing problems and then just the great things that our community has to offer. So I really did enjoy that experience and I also went to Focus Louisville as well. Oh, well, that's great. And that kind of leads into my our next question here. We wanted to ask you, who do you look up to uh, in terms of your that definition for leadership? Who do you think best exemplifies your definition of leadership, whether it's someone you know in the city or someone you know around uh, the world? Mm -hmm. Um, it's actually funny that you picked that opening quote from Mandela because that is someone uh, that I had down. I think, you know, the more I learn about um, his early life and the groups that he was in and some different things like that, and just kind of this idea of uh, self-sacrifice for the greater good, right? Which is Mandela, that's MLK, that's even Malcolm X in some different places, but just understanding how um, folks really kind of take this servant leadership thing to the next level before the term servant leadership even came to be, right? Um, really understanding where you fit into the, the greater purpose and sometimes not even um, going after that recognition, right? I think for me, the biggest thing is I, I don't need the awards. They're nice, but I don't need the awards or the recognition um, you know, if the organization is successful. And so, you know, this idea of just keeping, you know, the right goal in mind, 
um, you know, going down the right path and making sure you're bringing folks with you. You're not telling folks to go. You're not telling them to do things that you wouldn't do, but you're bringing folks with you. And, and ultimately, um, you're leaving this kind of legacy that has a larger impact on the community and on the world. And, and so I feel like Mandela, you know, is, is one of those folks that really embodies that. Yeah, I think that's a, a good a good role model to look up to in leadership. And um, well, Dr. Owens, you want to ask her? Yeah. So, Carmen, you know, we 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 have done a little research on you, as you can tell. We we looked at your bio. We we read some articles. I'm I'm finding you making quotes all over the internet. Um, and so this this is you know kind of public information. Anybody kind of look at a LinkedIn account. We 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 know you're from Kentucky. Um, I believe your undergrad is from UT, right? Tennessee, right? Yeah, go Vols. Uh, okay, go Vols, right? Uh, from there, right, you, you leave SEC country to go to Big Ten country, right? To go to Michigan State for your graduate degree, right? Is that, am I right? Actually, it was Michigan State was the master's certificate in analytics. My graduate, my master's is from uh, Indiana Wesleyan University. Okay, okay. I had them reverse, had them flipped. Okay, so you went, you go from from Tennessee to Indiana, then you go to Michigan State for that, and and now you're 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 running things in 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 Louisville. I think it's safe to say when you have the title of president, it's safe to say you're running things. So about your leadership journey. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Obviously, we know we can see if you can see if you're watching us on YouTube, you'll see she is a a, a minority female, right? So I'm sure her there's some there's a there's something to go to that that's going to get help someone along the lines with that. Um, she's educated, obviously, clearly with all the degrees. So what about this leadership journey? Were you when you let me ask this let me, before I get into that? How did you know you were a leader? Were you like 12 when you playing softball, or did you just kind of <laughs> fall into it, or what, what is it? How did that happen? <laughs> so I um, was an incredibly shy, kind of don't look at me, don't notice me kid. Um, but um, it's funny, my mother was cleaning something out and she found something as early as six that I had written where I was the secretary of this neighborhood club and was taking all the notes and making all the rules and those types of things. So I guess I was an informal leader um, when I was younger. And I feel like the, the leadership journey really started when I was in college. Um, I'm a founding sister of the Gamma Gamma chapter of Lambda Theta Alpha Latin Sorority Incorporated at the University of Tennessee, which was the first multicultural Greek um, organization down there and really went through, you know, we started that process probably when I was about 20 and going through and, um, you know, founding that chapter and then continuing to be involved in that um, in the sorority and bringing chapters to Georgia and, and working with folks in Maryland and whatnot. And I feel like I kind of started cultivating leadership there, but it was very, very specific around uh, women leadership. It was very, very specific around Latinas um, and really just all ethnicities, right? So we were historically Latina, but, you know, I think up to now we've got maybe, you know, 130 something ethnicities represented in the sorority. So it was just really all about kind of this global leadership concept. And so I think from there and those experiences of working with university leadership and those types of things, that's really when I started to feel like, okay, this might be a thing, right? Like people are gonna listen to me, even though you know, I'm on campus, I'm running this chapter or, or communicating within the chapter. So that was kind of a thing. And then when I went to UPS um, early in my career, that completely kind of flipped things on its head. 
um, you know, being, you know, this aerospace engineer, but I'm working with the, the brown trucks, right? Like the, the people that are delivering the packages and doing all the things and just trying to understand my place and, and where I fit. And I think the great thing about UPS is, is, you know, I worked there for about 14 years and I had 12 different positions uh, within the company between package and the airline and being able to rotate so quickly throughout the company being able to do things all over from safety to operations to, to different places within the airline and given those um, initiative type projects where I did a lot of diversity work, especially once I moved here to the airline around, you know, help us start this African-American resource group or help us start this XYZ. And so going through those types of opportunities, understanding that leadership doesn't have to mean you get promoted. Um, a lot of times your career growth, your personal path grows you outward as to, instead of upward, right? Um, and taking advantage of those. And, and I got to the point where I told people like, I would just always say yes, right? Like I'd get a call from my boss. Hey, we're thinking about this. Yes, sure, whatever, I'll do it. Um, and so doing that, but then taking advantage of, of those opportunities and um, really understanding what leadership meant. I think it really became solid for me when I was at UPS, probably um, right about when I turned like 31, 32. So I would have been there maybe about 10 years. So I think that's when it was like really solid when I could say, this is my leadership manifesto. This is what I believe. It was probably then. I feel like before then I had pieces of it. But when I when I got there, I, I could tell you what leadership meant to me. So let me get this straight. I just want to want to put this out there for my audience. So I, I heard you say that leadership does not always equal promotion. Did I hear you say that correctly? Absolutely. So to all my listeners out there, all the viewers out there, <laughs> okay, I just want to put it out. All my OLL students out there that's listening, okay, leadership does not necessarily mean you're going to get promoted, it, but it does mean, as Carmen alluded to earlier, that you are going to take care of those people who are around you to lead to use her definition. Um, but you're not always going to get promoted uh, to prove or to show anybody that you are a leader. Correct. Dr. McCart, now that I've, you know, made all of our students mad at us. You know, made all of our students mad at us. What do you got? What do you got? Well, that's a great point there because it was something that uh, Coach Satterfield, a uh, lesson that he gave us from uh, the gridiron about being right where your feet are at. And I think uh, especially younger folks in their career get care like, Although our students are working adults and there's a whole range of ages there, but uh, early careerists or mid-careerists feel like there's got to be that next step and climb the ladder. But I, I like what you both are saying about just work where you're at and the, the results will take care of themselves. Just do what you need to do there and don't, get, don't be in such a hurry because you may miss. And I'm talking to myself as well as our listeners, but uh, don't, don't be in such a hurry. You may miss what's going on right now. So, um, well, Carmen, I'd like to ask you a question here. You've said a number of things already that uh, I think are great traits for leaders, such as uh, being a servant leader, uh, looking at our research here, uh, resilience is a word that, that came up, um, your work in diversity, equity, and inclusion. But what are three traits, those or any others, that you feel up-and-coming leaders need to have in our current environment in, in 2021 and beyond? What would you recommend people focus on as they want to be well-rounded leaders and, and make an impact? Mm. Um, I think the biggest thing that has come forward that you can never have enough of is empathy. Uh, empathy and compassion for the folks that you work with on your level, for your bosses, for the people that work with you. 
I think um, in this world where information is accessible 24-7, in this world where it's becoming um, acceptable and even expected that you come to work as your whole self, um, in this world where we can no longer uh, ignore what happens outside of company doors, expecting that it won't impact uh, those initiatives or people working in the company, just all of those things um, and, and everything that I personally have gone through, especially in 2020, um, has really, really pushed empathy to the forefront. Um, really taking that time and understanding that not everyone has your same experience and that's okay because that's what makes the company great, right? And so I think uh, continuously working on empathy and compassion for others as well as for yourself um, is a, a huge thing that, that leaders have to have right now. Kind of along with that is adaptability. Um, we all experienced that in 2020, right? We never thought that we would have to figure out how to do all these meetings and conferences and everything virtually. Um, and even with coming back into the office and understanding that, you know, if you worked in the space where it was part of your culture to give hugs when you saw people, people may not be comfortable with that now. And so being adaptable and coming up with maybe seeing places have a red, yellow, green system where they actually hand out armbands and people have to look and see, you know, if, if you're yellow, that means you're okay with an elbow bump. But if you're red, that means I have to keep my distance, those types of things. So just being adaptable and, and understanding that the situations and current operating environments can change at any moment. Um, and then forward thinking. I think um, a lot of times what I saw throughout my career is, you know, you get used to this, this is how we've always done it, right? And I know that's super cliche, but everybody at every company has always heard that in any, any industry. Um, but when I'm talking forward thinking, I'm, I'm thinking forward thinking and connecting, right? I think um, based on my experience in government this past year, uh, in 2020, but just, you know, the past three years I was in government and understanding that if you're in this social sector, you're in this nonprofit sector, for example, um, government cannot solve all the problems. And so when we're talking about forward thinking, I'm thinking, you know, what are those partnerships between, you know, government and private sector that are going to help solve a community problem? Um, how do we use AI for the good, right? Like we don't, we don't necessarily want it, you know, people are scared about security issues or whatever, but there are places where we can use AI for the good. How do we say that just because we're going to um, put technology in the workforce and we're going to replace jobs that humans currently do with robotics, that's okay because we're going to retrain the humans to fix the robotics, right? Nobody's going to lose their job. We're now going to enhance the workforce by doing X. And so that's what I mean by forward thinking is, is it's forward thinking. It's the compassion, it's the empathy, it's all of it in there. But how do we work together to solve these problems? And, and we've got all these futurists that are telling us what's coming, right? Like we've been talking about AI forever. Um, and some companies aren't there, right? Some companies are still using tick sheets and Excel and I'm doing things by hand and whatever. And that's okay, but people within those spaces still need to understand they still need to be forward thinking and what are we facing regardless of the industry and, and what's coming up. So those are, those are my top three things. You said a lot there for just three things. I'm, I was trying to keep up here. And I, a lot of great stuff in there. And you know, one thing that you mentioned, artificial intelligence, and I just want to uh, bring up a quote that we we saw uh, that we found on the, an interview you did with the Future of Work Initiative. And you really said some great stuff in there. Um, 
one piece in particular as it relates to what you just said in our interview here was um, that you were following some black women in data science that are really digging into racial bias within data and that sometimes people say well you can't argue with the numbers but as you point out here you actually can when there's bias built into those numbers built into the data and um, the, the data science sector needs to own up to that and say yes there is racial bias but uh, here's how we're going to fix that and, and looking for solutions there and I think that goes along with not only the empathy but also the forward thinking and um, really just trying to uh, dig a little deeper, but for, it probably comes from your Six Sigma background. Background, but the root cause analysis here: what's what's really going on behind this? Not just accepting it at face value. So, I don't know if there's anything you'd like to elaborate on that, but I think it, it's useful to remember those things because uh, I, I, ma- I imagine that finding um, minorities in data science to follow is not easy because it's it's uh, such a skewed field. At least the last time I looked at the numbers recently, it's you know, it, it is you probably had to look a little harder to find black women in data science, I would imagine. So anything you'd like to comment on that? Yeah, so I think you're absolutely right that data science is definitely one of those spaces that's skewed um, towards white male, right? We already, we know that it is what it is. Um, If it were not for Twitter, I would not know those black women to follow in data science and even be able to read enough to to understand what I don't know, right? I, I think when you when you look at data, sometimes people want to do what's well, a you know chicken egg situation. It's kind of it is what it is, and we'll grow from there. But when you understand that policies are made based off of the current data, that's a problem, right? So if we look at um, and, and I'm going to go to public safety here a little bit. If we look at over policing, for example, it's like well, all the crimes are over here, so we have to send more police well, you had more police over there before. So that's why all the crime's there because, it, you know what I mean? So it's 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 one of those things where it's like, well, how do we fix it if it's, you know? Um, and, and you'll see a lot of things, whether it's public safety that'll happen, you'll see, um, you know, if you, you read about some of the facial recognition, recognition technologies that uh, will classify black people as animals. Um, if you do some searches, you know, in Google, few months back or, or last year or so, that was an issue. Um, I have Googled myself and within the first 20 pictures, there are probably eight to 10 who are not me, but they are black women uh, whose nose is spread when they smile, just like mine does, right? And so just knowing that there are these things that are out there and, and, and that is never gonna be perfect. And to understand that, to be able to fix those algorithms, to be able to understand the data in a different way, White, people, white men can't keep writing the algorithms, right? And and so that's kind of what I mean by that. And so uh, I think really helping folks understand uh, how data affects their lives is another piece of this, right? Like you're, you, I'm talking about something right now, I promise I'll get on Facebook later and add will pop up and show me, you know, what I was talking about. Um, but understanding how data affects our lives and then um, getting into a space where, you know, it's not just kids that we have to get interested in data and data science. It's adults, too, who want to learn how to do something different. Um, you know, in the with the certification that I took, um, what I really took from that is I'm not really going to be your coder. I'm not going to be your software developer. But where I am going to sit is more of a chief data officer, a chief innovation officer role. And that's part of kind of what I'm doing here at FMS of saying, we're gonna start creating these analytics policies. We're gonna start using the data that we have to create better policy or create better data gathering so that we can 
make better policy in the future, right? Like it's a it's a continuous cycle around things like this. And I think for those folks who are going to use data, work in data, who say that they're um, data and evidence based, you have to take that responsibility to understand bias in data. Like it, you cannot. Um, act like that doesn't exist. So I think that's just a responsibility that folks in those industries needs need to take on. Well, absolutely. Dr. Owens and I talk about this from time to time with uh, public health. I've got a background in public health, and it's we see a lot of the same things there too with um, those behind creating algorithms. I may not understand the, uh, the the total picture there. May not take the time to, or just have the background of skills but i want to go off the script just a little bit and ask you about something you mentioned in policing and kind of the public sector there and you were on the on a panel to select the new lmpd uh, police chief mm -hmm. uh, that's i found our research here and did any of these conversations around data come up as part of part of that or using data in policing because i imagine that would be a, an expertise that you could really help that panel with um, and you may not be able to talk much about that experience because it's uh I don't mean sensitive material, but was there anything that came up? In I think uh, in the space of data, um, it wasn't necessarily the panel. So the one thing about the the stuff that you probably read on the panel that wasn't kind of in the larger picture is I worked with uh, Chief Amy Hess, over who's uh, the public safety chief at, at Metro. I had been working with her since May, end of May, first of June, um, to begin collecting data around finding a new, a new police chief. So although, you know, the, the job description didn't go up till August, we had been starting this journey um, since uh, Chief Conrad was fired. And one of the things we did was we had a community survey around what folks wanted to see in the next police chief, right? We did in-person, in-person, right? Focus groups around uh, with different sectors, activists, with the religious community, with the youth. Um, I think we did, I think I've facilitated about 20 something sessions with some different folks to get more data on what folks wanted to see in the next police chief. So to me, where the data was really important when we started looking at that. So uh, using the data from the over 10,000 survey responses and then from the 21 facilitated sessions, working with Chief Hess and working with PERF, which was the agency that came in to help us look, you know, look for the police chief and really understanding that a lot of the themes, you know, that folks were looking at were, was transparency, was working with the community, was having cultural competency um, and understanding what it what it meant for a, a black person to be stopped by the police and, and rebuilding those relationships. So to me, you know, in that entire process, the data portion was most important at the beginning. Perfect mentioned that, you know, they had never seen a city uh, gather this much data from the community um, on their journey, you know, to find a, a new police chief. And so um, for me, that was, it was very telling. I think, you know, uh, myself and Chief has had plenty of conversations around the themes that we were seeing and, and some of that data, and then even understanding some of the results that we were getting back from employees, from LMPD employees, we also surveyed them as well. Um, and so that's really where that stood. I think, you know, moving forward, I definitely foresee, you know, um, just Metro in general, using data in different ways to try to solve some of these complex problems we have facing us. Um, you know, you've got uh, Grace Simrall over there who's chief of innovation and um, she's definitely, you know, involved with figuring out the best ways that we can use data to make decisions. She, she was instrumental in 
doing like our COVID dashboard, for example, that we use for the city, um, you know, around those statistics. So I think, you know, they've got a great team over there to be able to continue use data in different ways and, and push the community forward. Right. Well, thank you for taking us through that. I mean, we we talk about it in our leadership classes that it's a really great idea to ask the customers what they want, but I didn't really think about it in terms of a city hiring a new police chief that you would go to such great lengths to get the data, but that's uh, just a brilliant approach. And that says a lot for you all on the panel and the, the city of Louisville that they would, that people would comment, we've never seen a city gather so much data to make a decision like this. So uh, we appreciate your service on that. Uh, Dr. Owens? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I was I was sitting here taking so many notes, I forgot that, uh, that this was what we were doing. It was actually an interview. I had to come up with my next question, so I apologize for that. But uh, segueing into our next section, um, we talked a lot about leadership in that first segue in that first segment. We'll talk a little, little bit about learning in this next. So, uh, Mahatma Gandhi made a quote. He says that live as if you'll die tomorrow, but learn right uh, as if you'll live forever. Knowing that, um, how do you think learning? has changed from the time you entered uh has it, from the time you started your leadership journey up and, and up until now um i think you know and i'm not saying one way is good or bad i'm saying i feel like when i first started uh working in a, in professional settings that learning was way more hands-on okay um i sat with you know, folks who had been at UPS for 20 years and they showed me, I still had the procedure and everything, but they showed me how it actually works because a lot of times things get lost in translation, right? From the step one through 20 versus actual application. Um, I feel like the majority of my learning was on the job. Um, and it was also sitting with folks and understanding exactly what I was supposed to be doing um, early career. Um, I feel like over the past maybe five, six, eight years, um, there's been way more focus on, you know, using technology for learning, right? So, um, yes, online classes, but I've also been through some where I took online classes and then I did in person and then I had the app when I was actually out in the field doing whatever I was doing. And so it was kind of this idea of, yes, I can learn in a classroom, but then when you go out, now you have these learning supports around you to make sure that you understand the concepts and whatnot. Um, the thing I like about it all, regardless, is that learning has become flexible enough to meet people where they are. And you, you learn different from me and I learn different from the next person. And so that part's really been helpful. I think the part um that that has to always be there and it sounds obvious but it's not always happening is that the people receiving that the training have to want to learn it um i've tried to train people who just didn't didn't want to learn they don't want to learn this new way or whatever it is um and and i think that was more that was earlier in my career and the way we got better and i'm specifically speaking to ups the way we got better at combating things like that is that we got better with matching people with positions that they were good for right and so i think a lot of training and learning and all that starts with self right i always say professional development is personal development if you don't understand your self-awareness what you do best where you fit best you're going to be put sometimes in positions that aren't compatible with what you're trying to do. Um, and because of that, regardless of how the learning is delivered, 
or trainings delivered, you're not going to accept it because you're not there for the the foundational things that you want to do. So I think where where the delivery of the learning has changed, the one thing that has always stayed the same is that you know as a person receiving it, you have to want to be there. Um, you know, my my learning and development folks can give you training all day, every day, but if you don't want to receive it, you're just not going to. But I think you know from a professional standpoint, if we can do our best as leaders to make sure we're helping our people match their their passions and their skills and their talents with positions that will complement those but also still challenge them to grow and learn that's that's the best thing we can do to move an organizational uh, organization forward overall yeah i like that i like that i think the um the uh, for the layman term for that is just being a good fit for the yeah. for the position the person being a good fit for the position and then the position being a good fit for the for that individual um kind of bridging off that just a little bit um so when you're trying to come up with some of these fits whether it be redoing a job title or a job description or whether it is finding someone who's who is a good fit for that position um is, is there any uh type of of data or information um, that you would use most specifically or that you rank higher than, than, than anything else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I rank anything higher. I think I've used, you know, or, or been through multiple assessments uh, through my career that have helped, right? So at Metro Government, we use the predictive index um, to see, you know, who's going to fit where. It also helps you, you know, you pick the best skills for the job. And then that person takes their index and you kind of match them all up. So the predictive index has been one I think, you know, in the past few years that, that we've definitely used. And we've also got the predictive index here at FMS. Um, the other couple of ones that I've used in the past and I actually just did with my team last week was the Hartman personality assessment. It's or sometimes called the color code test um, where you talk about, you know, what motivates people. It can be power, peace, intimacy, fun, those types of things. We took that. Um, I got a lot of, good, lot of good feedback from that. The other one is the Thomas Kilman conflict instrument um, to help you understand how you deal with conflict, but not just how you deal with it, but it also shows uh, or you can get information on the best types of situation to use different types of, of conflict methods. Um, those three, I feel like I've used kind of over and over again, you know, regardless of the job that I've been in to really understand how, um, not just how to manage my team, but help them understand each other. And so, you know, as we, so last Friday, like I said, uh, we went through these assessments as a team and they had already done the PI. So we just did the last two and to, to kind of see them put things together like, oh, wow, most of us are blues. That means we value relationships. That means we do this and that, you know, and just kind of have that informal discussion and, help folks understand where those types of things um, may show up in group decisions or individual projects or anything like that, I think are are always super helpful. So when we talk about, um, you know, as we go through whether we're aligning duties or we're clarifying expectations here around, you know, with the team, with the leadership team and where we're going with FMS, those things are helpful so that we know, okay, you might be a little bit softer here. So I'm going to pair you with this person because you'll complement each other, X, Y, Z. And so I think making those connections for them has been really helpful. I like it. I like it. I like those two. I, 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 I haven't heard of the conflict one, but I like, I've heard of the other two and I've actually used them. So good stuff. Dr. McCart, what we got? 
Yeah. Well, I uh, I enjoyed the, the idea there of looking at these models. The pr predictive index is one, of course, but the others. It's a way to sort of look at those blind spots that are uncomfortable for us. Like we don't always. I uh, me personally, and and others I've met in in my career. It's sort of hard to look at our shortcomings or, or look at our even our strengths that can be even harder for people but to to see what's going on there it can be uncomfortable and so i love having the idea of having instruments there talking about them with your colleagues so then we're we're talking about the instruments rather than it's not quite so touchy-feely that we're talking about me and my my motivators and so uh, you mentioned intimacy and teamwork and some others but my wife says food is a big motivator for me she might say like a sandwich is my love language so i don't i didn't hear that in your analysis but that's uh, i know that gets me motivated so anyway um uh, there are some things on your linkedin posts are very interesting to see and um sometimes uh, folks like you keep my linkedin going i'm just one of these that kind of sits in the background quietly every once in a while in apartment that i share but uh you and dr owens really keep me keep my LinkedIn feed populated, so I appreciate that. But um, there is a really a nice um, recognition that you received from uh, Today's Woman magazine and uh, recognized as 2020's Way to Go Woman for Leadership. And um, well, some of the things that you mentioned there is listening with your heart, relatability matters, keeping it real. Those are some of the, the three subheadings uh, there in that article. And I thought that was just a, a really nice um, what, I, what we try to say on this podcast, we need more leaders who are talking about that heart-centered approach and being in touch with the emotional intelligence side of things. And, and it may be a little surprising for our listeners because we've talked about the hard data and the, the science and the analytics and the artificial intelligence, but you're also very comfortable in that other side of things. And um, how do you see bringing that together? You know, how can a person, how can a leader today have a foot in both of those worlds, not be total... Uh, uh, for lack of a better word, kind of a data uh, stuck in the data robot or a, a data nerd or something like that, and also, but have the feeling and the uh, compassion side of things. Any tips for us on navigating both of those sides of the brain, so to speak? Yeah, I think, um, so it kind of goes back to something I already said around the professional development is personal development, right? Um, I think understanding, you know, your first job in leadership is to lead yourself. Right? Like you've always been leading yourself. Um, and so with that comes a certain type of self-awareness that you just have to have. You have to know, for example, um, my brain doesn't really turn on till about 10 o'clock in the morning. All right. So <laughs> my best time of day to work is probably about two, three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I can fire out all kinds of things. That's a form of self-awareness. Um, I, and, and this is not to say that, you know, everybody has to go and have therapy and understand everything that happened in your childhood. But what I'm saying is understanding um, that, you know, the things that you've experienced play out in how you treat people, they play out in how you lead people. And depending on, you know, where you want to be is going to depend on the level of work that you're going to do um to help you understand yourself so that you can understand how to be a better leader um while i am very you know that engineer part of my brain is analytical and standard work and we have processes and procedures metrics and all the things that you know we have to write down and get them right um while i have that i also understand that not everybody thinks that way not everybody likes processes writing things down people think that you know, the first time you start to measure something, that means that I'm gonna get in trouble if I don't hit it and I'm gonna lose my job and I don't get a raise. And I, 
and that's not the case. And so understanding that um, people may see certain things as bad, right? Like we might see metrics as bad and I frame it as they are not bad. This is not good or bad. Just because it's red, that means that's an opportunity to improve, right? Like um, looking at things, are they obstacles or are they stepping stones? Are you stepping outside of your comfort zone or are you expanding it? Are you, you know what I'm saying? Like are things problems or are they opportunities, right? So a lot of times some of it is just how it's the mindset, right? It's the shift, you know, I have to do something versus I get to do something. And and I think a lot of times people write stuff like that off. Um, but I found in, in my career that it's actually really helpful to help people change their mindset and how they look at things. Um, I, you know, we at, we're at FMS, we've set up a structure where we're looking at certain metrics every week. And if something is red, if something's off target, we talk about it. The talk about it is not, I am in my, you know, VP of HR is facing, why aren't you hiring the right people? Why aren't we doing why, why, why? It's tell us what we need to do to help you. That's the whole point of the session when the leadership team gets together is what do we need to do to make you successful and in turn change the metric, right? And, and in turn improve, right? And so um, this idea of being forward thinking is also around being improvement minded um, and, and that everything's an opportunity. And so it, I think it's okay. It's people shouldn't be scared of um, things like, you know, you hear accountability or clear expectations and those types of things. I think people want to know what's expected of them because I believe, I personally believe that nobody wakes up and goes to work wanting to do a bad job. Like, I just don't think that's what people do. And so when you're laying out um, processes, procedures, metrics, and those types of things, all of that is about clarity and expectation. And all of that is all about, here's where you are and here's where I need you to be. And not just here's where I need you to be, Here's where I need you to be because this is how it impacts the bigger picture. This is what it does to move the company forward, right? And I think the because part and the why is what a lot of leaders leave off. And that's when you lose people. That's when people start feeling like they're just a cog in a machine or just a number on a piece of paper. And so I work really, really hard um, in making sure that people understand the bigger picture, where they fit and how they can impact it and understanding that um, things are all, all this stuff that we're doing is, is an opportunity to get better. And that's, that's what it is. Very good. Well, I, I think that that creating a culture of trust there where you can talk to the HR director, HR executive about, you know, here's a, it's an issue we identified as a red issue. Um, um you and I, Carmen, have talked in the, as part of our, part of our advisory board, we've talked about how, uh, just six sigma and process improvements and some companies do brainstorming but some companies do blame storming they want to find out instead, instead of the five whys they want to find out the five who's you know who, who fault is this i need names or things like that but the, you're talking about the opposite of that a culture where we're able to work together and get to the the heart of the problem without uh, making it somebody's fault so jim collins uh, dr owens and i were, were book book uh no let's just call it nerds dr owens that's what we say it's even calls from good great talked about doing an autopsy without blame where we're looking at an issue but just trying to solve it and get better next time so i just i think that's important there to point out for the listeners and how um, it's a big part of leadership is that we're in this together and i'm going to walk with you in this to 
we find a solution just like you said how how can we support you better to move this from a red to a yellow issue to a green as, uh, as i'm guessing what your colors might be there so um well we the time is just slipping away so i want to jump to a, a couple questions i want to be sure to ask you about um if if you don't mind and so i'll um, i'll start out here you shared something on linkedin again about um uh, someone had written about Minneapolis and it was talking about cities who are not equitable will always be in recovery mode. And I just, maybe this is outside the scope of your work currently, but what sort of things do you feel Louisville um, can do to, to be one of these cities that's not always in recovery mode, that's combating um, racism, that's that's helping to just having more united community. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Because I know it's, it looks like a topic that's important to your heart as I'm looking at some of the things you've shared and posted. Yeah, sure. So um, so when I was at the city as uh, chief of performance improvement and being over strategy and some different things like that, I got to learn a lot about the challenges that the city faces. And then here at FMS, um, you know, we're, we're a B Corp and we focus on our social mission, which is to improve the financial and physical health of our employees. And so we really focus on that social mission more than we do profit, right? And so some of the programs that we have around helping uh, our frontline employees get their first home. We've got partnership with L Home and we've actually had a couple of people um, graduate and, and close on their homes. So we're super excited about that. Uh, we partner with New Roots and subsidize the shares so folks can have access to fresh foods and ve vegetables, which we know we've got a huge problem with food deserts in the city. Um, and, and so those are just a couple of examples of how FMS really focuses on that financial and, and um, physical health for employees in a way that companies can really start looking at, you know, don't just say your employees are your, your biggest asset. How are you coming through for that, right? Um, I think when we talk about Louisville being um, equitable and how we get there, we definitely have to understand the history, right? So, you know, the redlining presentation that Josh Poe does, for example, understanding the tax system and, and um, how that shows up in schools, for example, right? Like look at your uh, Shawnee campus versus maybe a school on the east side. Um, even understanding the Ninth Street divide is a real thing. Right. There's just all these different things in Louisville that I think, um, you know, you have to understand the history to understand how to move forward. Um, but the other piece of that is, is in when we're talking about moving forward, you have to understand we're combating problems that have been here for decades. And so this idea that we're going to come in and throw money at it and within 18 months, we're going to have this great solution. It's just not feasible. It's just not going to work. Um, but I think understanding and getting thinkers in the room who understand the history, understand how all these complex systems work, especially when you're talking about government and what's at the state versus what's at the city. But then understanding what corporations here can help us eradicate some of these issues, right? We've got a lot of big corporations here that sit in different spaces that can help us think through as a city what we're gonna do, right? We've got, you know, Humana with the health folks and how does that show up when we're talking about health equity? Um, you've got some great business minds here that maybe could help us think about how do we help grocery stores, for example, reimagine how they um, do their profit model, right? Because we don't have grocery stores in the West End. We've got one Kroger or whatever it is. But how do we help grocery stores say, you know what, instead of calculating it this way, if you do it this way and change the design or whatever it is, then maybe 
you could stay in the West End, right? Because right now they calculate based on sales versus square foot or, or what have you. So all these different examples of the reason why things are the way they are and how do we combat that? What policies are in place that are um, maybe intentionally or unintentionally creating barriers to keep us from getting rid of some of these vacant and abandoned properties in the West End, right? Um, what is it? that Metro Council can do as a, as a 26 member council, do the districts need to be drawn differently, right? Because right now we've got the, the Middletown Council folks looking at the West End Council folks like, well, we don't have that problem, but we need money for this over here. Well, you know, if you're talking a park bench versus street lights and sidewalks, that's a problem, right? And so do we need to redraw the districts differently? And so there's all these spaces, I think, where Louisville can be super effective, but you just have to get the thinkers in the room that are willing to take the chances. I think we have to understand that there are certain things in government um, that are problems. You know, there were a lot of bills that we tried to get through um, this last session in state that just didn't get through. And, you know, the, the urban-rural divide is a big thing in Louisville. I mean, in Kentucky, rather, we have to understand that as well. But I think ultimately, if you get a group of folks together who understand that city government has to work with private sector corporations and they have to work with social sector organizations and come up with that collaborative type of solution to push the city forward that's where it lies right there's no two sectors that are going to be able to do this alone just because things are so complex and i think if you could get those three sectors together and focus on whether it's affordable housing whether it's health equity, food access, what have you. If you could get those sectors together and just come up with all these just innovative ways, but then break it down to, okay, what are we? What do we have to do this year? Infrastructure with TARC maybe? Do we have to do something about MSD and the tunnels? I mean, there's some, there's some issues that people just don't think about that we have to take care of in the city. Um, and, and just figure out what those springboard, what are those starts? Like we, we don't have to do it all. We can't do it all this year. We can't do it all in five years. We can do something. Right. And so I just think finding that, that good group and a common purpose and the right way to work together would get us there. Would get us. Dr. Owens, I hope you were taking notes on that because that was, uh, <laughs> there, there was a lot in there, Carmen. Thank you. And I'll just, just add there that the, um, that Ninth Street divide, or we talk in public health about the life expectancy differences. If you grow up on the west side of I-65 or on the east side of I-65, it's you know, getting close. It gets close to a decade in difference in life expectancy there. And, and I think one thing, just to kind of follow up on what you were saying, that it needs to be seen as an investment in our community. You mentioned the grocery stores and some of these other uh, corporations, private organizations that. Uh, it may not turn a profit immediately, but an investment doesn't. If we start investing for five years, 10 years, 20 years, well then it changes the way we look at things. And I don't know exactly what the solution is for getting uh, more grocery stores, uh, kind of um, fixing this food desert issue, but definitely need to have a different different way of looking at these problems. We, the same kind of thinking that got us here won't get us out of here is, is one thing people say sometimes. And so yeah, thank you for touching all those. Those are difficult issues, but I'm glad, uh, glad to hear some of your thoughts on there. And I say this a lot, but uh, really if one hour of a podcast is just not enough. We, we start to get into the best there's time to log out. So, but uh, maybe you'll come back and visit with us another time. Uh, well, Dr. Owens, why don't I hand it over to you and I'll, uh, to kind of contain my enthusiasm for just a moment and let you 
All right, no problem. So I'm going to ask you this last question before we let you get out of here, uh, Carmen. Hopefully you don't mind. Um, we, we've touched about, about so many things, but we really haven't had an opportunity to really talk about your current company. You've alluded to it on several occasions, but just wanted to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about FMS and some of its top initiatives. And I say that because I don't know if anybody has ever read the book, The Dream Manager, but if you haven't, go read it. It's, uh, it's a great book. It's by Matthew Kelly. Um, and it's actually even about a company similar to FMS and uh, but go ahead what what is what is FMS and, and what are some of your top initiatives yeah so um, I, I would be remiss in saying like FMS is a big corporation right um, you know been in Kentucky and Indiana area for 21 years uh, Scott Collins um, formerly president and CEO made the decision that because of FMS's growth um, that he need, he really needed to kind of step back and CEO and bring in this president's position that kind of does the day-to-day operations piece while he stays more on a strategic level. And so I've been here now for about 97 days or so. Uh, seems to be working out pretty well. Um, as far as some, some initiatives that we're doing, one of the biggest things that we've done, again, this is with growth, um, is really looked at core processes for every position in the company, right? And understanding strategy, how that fits into quarterly goals, and then how does that show up for, you know, like I said, frontline employees all the way to Scott, right? What are we supposed to be doing in our jobs? Um, what's the standard processes, right? Like what's the FMS way to clean a bathroom? How do we make sure that we get payroll out of the door every two weeks? Like all of those things. And so right now we're going through a huge alignment process. So what we do is we have an annual retreat. This last one was in November. And then every quarter we set what we call company rocks. We're using the entrepreneurial operating system or EOS system to help guide us through this. And so my job is really to go through and kind of do level setting around those those 90 day rocks to make sure that we're meeting this annual strategy and then we have three year and 10 year targets. So that's a huge, huge undertaking that we're doing right now, but it's really helping us align um, our employees clarity of expectations as i mentioned earlier it's helping us make sure making sure that we're hitting our targets um and then making sure that our organizational design is in such a way that we can do all of those things um the second thing that we're bringing on is we uh actually right before i got here they had signed a contract with uh decide decide diversity and so we are about to kick off this huge uh diversity equity inclusion initiative which uh i have kind of said I'll step up and, and push that out. Um, I've been doing, you know, DEI work informally since I worked at UPS um, and even, you know, worked on it with the chief equity officer when I was at Louisville Metro Government. So this is definitely a passion of mine. And so we're looking at, um, you know, we're going to do surveys and they're going to help us analyze data and some different things like that. But I'm really pushing to what does it look like when FMS operationalizes this equity work, right? And then once we do that, really going out one to the community and comp- other companies saying, why can't you be like us, right? Because <laughs> we're gonna do this right. Um, but, then, but then making sure everyone understands how equity shows up in our systems and our policies, um, that it's not, we're not just working, we are truly, truly breaking down 
um, some barriers around systemic racism that we're going to go out into the community, you know, our headquarters in Portland. And so I want to form division or I'm sorry, partnerships with the first division of LMPD. I want to form partnerships with other folks like New Roots around food access, um, you know, second chance employment. We're big in that as well. Partnerships with the Louisville Urban League and just all these spaces where we're truly, truly making impacts in the community. Um, real time, you can see it. These are the outcomes. And we're continuing to be, you know, a good, just a good community citizen, you know, as, as FMS. So those two things, I think, you know, we get that down pat, then um, folks, will, hopefully other folks will have me on their pa- podcast asking how we did it. So that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Hey, hey, we, if we can help, we will. We will promote you to all the podcasts that we can. Um, <laughs> that is, um, that again, I mean, it, you rattled it off pretty quick, but we definitely know that th- those initiatives are going to take some time. But I think, like you said, I think as long as you have some outcomes that you can always share and show, I think those are, are very critical and very key. Um, you know, before we get you get out of here, we do like to have a little fun with our guests. Um, and you, we would, I, I, we're going to have some fun with you too. Um, so what we have, our first round of fun is uh, what we call rapid fire. So rapid fire is a question. I'm just going to ask you uh, five questions. Just give me the first thing that pops in your head that comes to your mind. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll laugh a little bit and have a little fun with it as well. First question, <laughs> round one, rapid fire. Here we go. If you could pick one word that could describe your life so far, what would it be and why? Let's go with enlightening. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, again, I, I feel I'm a continuous learner, so I'm always asking, what exactly was I supposed to learn from what I just went through? <laughs> so okay. Some of the answers I come up with have been pretty enlightening, so let's go with that. I like it. I like it. I like it. I'll give you a pass. We'll move on to round two. Uh, okay. So you're not in the red, you're in the green. You're in the green. Here we go. Round okay. two. What are three non-negotiable characteristics that anyone on your team or tribe has to have? Okay, so we'll go with empathy. I mentioned that earlier. Yep. Um, let's go with collaborative because you yep. definitely have to be able to work together to have the best solutions. Um, and let's go with humor because you have okay. to be able to laugh to get through things sometimes. <laughs> you know what? No one has mentioned humor. I like it. <laughs> Automatic it. <laughs> green light. She passes round three. Here we go. Rapid fire. What is your favorite hobby? Reading. Is there you can a specific escape. type of book? Uh, thrillers Ooh. and suspense. I like the whodunit stuff. This is not a rapid fire question, but what was the last book you accomplished reading? (laughs) Sorry, I put you on the spot. Probably shouldn't have deviated from the question. Next question, rapid fire. Oh, snap. Well, it says U of L Health. This is from from a different person. But if you weren't in leadership role at FMS, what would you be doing as a career? I, th- I actually think I would be in higher ed of some sort. Um, I've always kind of would lean towards uh, training, seminars, but then also, especially after having kind of this corporate world experience, being able to go into like an engineering school and saying, hey guys, here's the other stuff that engineers need to learn to be successful uh, in the workplace. Okay, okay. 
Well, because we're teachers, I think we'll give you definitely give you a green light on that one. Automatic green light. Round five. Last question. Here we go. If you could sit with your 13-year-old self, what would you tell her? Be yourself. Um, I think, you know, when I was coming up in the late 90s, early 2000s, professionally, there was a lot of um, be like him, right? Because mm-hmm. engineering is, is always male dominated. So be like him. Um, play golf. Um, you know, make sure that you see how he acts, act like this. Don't right. don't have emotion. Don't, you know, um, just be yourself. Like I have been able to pave my own way being me. Um, there are a lot of things I'm sure I do that causes folks to clutch their pearls. Um, hold out your hand, I'll buy you another strand because I am me. <laughs> that's just who I am. And it's worked out for me this far. So that's it. Okay. Last question of all questions. Last one. We're going to get you out of here on this one. This is the stumper of all stumpers. I've asked every guest. It started off. I was going to see how it was going to roll out. Everyone has been stumped by it. Hopefully you're stumped by it as well. No matter how much I (laughs) prep them, they still are stumped by it. So here we go. If your life was the title of a book made up or real, what would it be and why? I got one. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> the title would be there's no box to hold you um, I think you know this whole idea of thinking outside of the box implies that you were in a box to begin with mm-hmm. and I hate that right so I, I never consider myself in a box um, let's be honest I, you know I'm a black and Puerto Rican girl that grew up in the country part of Kentucky there's no <laughs> box for that right like there's no box for me to go to East Tennessee and be an aerospace engineer and do all of those things, right? Um, And so I think continuing to think that way, um, continuing to push the limits, you know, I feel like it's my job to make people think differently about whatever concept I'm teaching, talking about, or or whatever problem I'm trying to solve. And so I think the best way to be as innovative as I need to be, to be creative as I need to be, and make sure that we get the best solution for whatever it is I'm trying to do um, is to think like there's no box. There never was one. Man, that was a great answer. Now you got <laughs> I might have to change the question up now. <laughs> okay, so before we let you go, 100% really get you out of here. If you had one message to just kind of scream from the mountaintops for anyone, everybody, employee, employer, leader, trying to be a leader, want to be a leader in school, out of school, not thinking about school, whatever. If you had one message of wise counsel to shout out from the mountaintops for the rest of 21, rest of 2021, what would it be? Define your own success. Mm. Um, I think we do a lot of read this article on the CEO and see how they did X, right? You got to wake up at six. You got to journal. You got to do all the things. Um, We do a lot of, you know, take this workshop and do this. Um, Check off these boxes and you'll get promoted, right? Um, My definition of success is different from other people's, right? My, my sky has a different limit. Um, sometimes success is uh, considered a rock climbing wall, uh, as I learned at UPS, right? You're going to go side to side, sometimes down, not always up. And so I think because success um, can take many different shapes and forms for folks, I would definitely encourage folks to define their own success, whatever that success is in or around. Um, and then figure out the path that's best for you to get there. 
I don't know what that face means. <laughs> you know, because here's the thing. Like, I have been telling a lot of the students that I mentor, uh, a lot of the people that I mentee um, um, and work with that same thing for probably all of 2021. I was like, you're gonna. It's time to redefine success. I mean, it, it, and I don't know what it looks like because I tell everybody it's personal. I can't tell you. I can tell you what my definition is, but my definition, I guarantee you, is not going to work for you because you're not me. You haven't had my experiences. You haven't been where I've been. You, you know, it's just not going to work for you. And 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 a lot of the people that I work with and talk to are really starting to do that. And I even read an article. Um, I think it was in Forbes that they're actually asking. They were asking like. Um, CEOs to redefine what success looks like post COVID. So I think that's kind of a, a trickle. So that thought that face was like, this is real. I mean, I don't say I stumbled on anything. I think that that's just where, where we are. I think we just really, really need to think of redefining success, but I've taken up, we've taken up enough of your time and I don't want to take up any more because we all have things to do. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This interview was phenomenal. This podcast is going to be phenomenal. We're going to market it like it's never been marketed before to take it through the roof. Thank you again. <laughs> thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I've, I've definitely enjoyed this. No problem. Oh, Dr. McCart. Dr. McCart. What say you? What say you? Well, I told you before we started, this is, this guest is sharp. We're about to be on our toes. Was I right? Dr. You were all, you're, you, first of all, you haven't been wrong. So, but, but this one has really blown my mind. Like I'm really like, I'm going to not, I didn't take enough notes in this. I'm definitely going to go back as I edit this and look at this and I'm going to redo this and finish the notes that I even started because there were so many nuggets in this. There's no way I could have taken the notes and, and, and done justice, but paying attention to the guest. Yeah, and, and so much of it just, uh, it's its common sense, and that must be from her engineering and data-driven approach, but it's common sense on really having compassion for and empathy for the biggest problems that we're facing as leaders and as a community. And I just, I knew we were going to learn some things, I just didn't know how much. And it, it's, well, this was great. This was uh, a lot to learn, and I'm glad you felt the same way too. So we'll have to share our notes later. And, uh, just trying to get better each week, Dr. Owens. Listen, I, after this interview, I know we're getting better each week. <laughs> we're going to, we're, maybe we'll use the color code system. We'll come up with a red, green, blue, yellow, some other colors that we can come up with to know if, hey, we're, if we're on the right direction, if we're trending right or not. Yeah, that wouldn't hurt. That wouldn't hurt. So, um, you know, there was one thing that she shared on LinkedIn that I would like to talk about a little bit. And this is a little more of a, certainly a somber topic, if you don't mind, but sure. I didn't really find a great way to fit it in there while we were talking to her. But uh, she had shared something from uh, a person in our community named uh, Ben Reno Weber, and he's the executive director of Microsoft Future of Work Initiative. And um, he was, she shared this, which I think says, says a lot about her as well, but talking about a, a black friend that he has who her son has started to drive and this friend that he has um, made a lanyard for the son as he was driving with a picture of their family, his report card, he's an honor student, a letter from his minister about what an outstanding kid he was, his driver's license, registration, proof of insurance, and something that he wore around his neck in a lanyard so that he didn't have to get into his glove box and didn't have to reach for the glove box and the police officers could just take it from around his neck, have all the documents and not hurt, not hurt their son. And, you know, I have to be honest, that really, as I was doing the research for this, um, 
that hit me um it just impacted me because i i've got a heavy foot and i get pulled over sometimes mm-hmm. but i don't face those those kind of concerns that carmen shared there on her linkedin feed something that really uh it gave me pause and to think about and she mentioned that empathy here is one of the the traits for leaders and i want to um, gain some empathy on that for situations and and she also mentioned it in this interview about what it means being a black person being pulled over by police it's just Mm -hmm. totally different than something i i've uh, faced in in my time of being pulled over and it just it's a good reminder of um, what how far we've still got to go and right. a lanyard is a temporary solution that does not address the root cause and we didn't right. get a chance to talk to her about that on this interview but i did want to bring it up here and i mean just the fact of bringing awareness to those kind of things is a start so i want to be sure to point that out and uh you know, this is a, a platform for topics that are important and here's another example of someone in our community here and in the region uh, the Louisville area that is working hard and bringing awareness and using data and advanced degrees to um, push things forward. And as she said, oh. it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen over, over this year, but a lot of work needs to be done. And I'm so glad there's people like Carmen out here doing that kind of work and at, at a high level. You, you know, you touch on something that's really, is really, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to say it's divided the country any more than it's already, it's already has been, but I mean, it's a very, it's a very unique and sensitive topic. It, it touches uh, families across the, the nation, the world, um, and you know I think we're, we're we're slowly moving in the right direction. But I don't, you know, um, I don't know if slow is the pace that that we can afford to continue to move at. Um, but I, I mean, you know, I I would never say I'm an expert in any of those things. Um, I'm just I learn like like we always do by what other people are doing what other people are saying what other people are are experiencing um i think you know carmen hit it in the nail on the head i think to some degree there has to be more empathy in and not and not just and if you think you're a leader but i think it, it needs to be kind of you know infused in all trainings no matter what role you have because being empathetic is something that um, is needed no matter your line of work, no matter your occupation. I mean, on this podcast, we talk specifically with with industry leaders, uh, whether it be on the community and university. And it's kind of one of those things that we're kind of hearing it from everybody. We we, we heard it um, from HR directors. We, we've heard it from community leaders. We've heard it from CEOs. We've heard it from, you know, athletic department um, vice presidents. I mean, we've, we're hearing it. And I think, you know, that if you hear something long enough, at some point we're going to have to start implementing it. Just my my two pennies. Hmm. Yeah, I think so. And I think there's uh, you hear it long enough that you've got to, to. There needs to be some action at some point there. And, uh, just um, we'll, we'll keep talking about it. We'll keep learning. Like you said, we're not experts, but we're willing to learn and, and show up and. And learn about it here. So uh, another great guest. I don't know how you and Susan find all these um, <laughs> wonderful people, but I do appreciate you bringing me along for the ride because uh, there, there's a lot to learn and a lot of uh, smart, wise, caring people uh, here in our city that are that are doing a ton of great things. And we get to hear about it. We get to ask them uh, sort of the the secret recipe behind their success and, and their habits. And it's uh, it's great to. You got it. So, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank you for joining us today on the Cardinal Cole podcast. You can always check out today's podcast uh, as well as any of our past podcasts at uofl.me backslash leadership dash pod. Again, that's uofl.me backslash leadership dash 
P-O-D. Listen, we hope that you also join us in the classroom, either virtually or on campus, to get a degree that gets you ahead. We have online bachelor's and master's and certificates and leadership programs in a wide range of industries from healthcare to education to human resources. Go check us out at uofl.me backslash podcast dash O-L-L for more information. Again, that's uofl.me backslash podcast dash O-L-L. Well, as we like to say around here, you can count the number of seeds in an apple, but you can't count the number of apples in a seed. When you teach, you never know how many lives you will influence. Cardinal Nation, keep leading, keep learning, and keep influencing. We hope to see and hear from you soon, but until then, don't forget to like, subscribe, download, and make comments anywhere you see our information, whether it be on YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, or Spotify, right? So that you can get all the information connected to the OLL program as soon as it's released. So until then, take care and stay safe.